Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with an impressive young man from Bloomington, a Central Catholic and Mizzou grad who's recently accepted a role as a Focus Missionary. Focus being an acronym for Fellowship of Catholic University Students. What does Focus Missionary? What does a Focus Missionary do? Why did Will decide to join the group? And what are his goals? Let's find out. Will Dionysotis, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you inviting me. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. You recently gave a talk at Holy Trinity about something. I wasn't there, but it, it raised some questions here at Catholic Spirit Radio. And I just want to ask, what were you talking about to such a big crowd? Yes. So uh, the idea of giving a parish talk um, is to incorporate the parish into the mission of focus. Uh, with me specifically as a focus missionary, it's incorporating into the mission that I will be doing at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Mm-hmm. So the the idea of the talk was to gain support uh, and financial support in inviting people onto the mission of focus and then really giving them a brief idea of what it is, but actually sparking their interest in what it is to be a focused missionary and then inviting them into me talking more about it in a later meeting, appointment, whatever it may be. Okay. So let's, maybe I should have clarified from the beginning. What is focused missionary? What do you guys do? What's it all about? Yes. So focus, like you said, is uh, stands for Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And the idea is to send missionaries out to college campuses uh, around the United States, and it's global now, so it's in England and Ireland and uh, several other countries, Austria. And the idea is to um, build a relationship with students at the university and invite them in uh, to an encounter with the Lord uh, through, a, through their relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be done various uh, reasons, but the idea is to reach college students where there's a lot of potential uh, and a lot of people have uncertainty about the future. And uh, as a missionary, that's what we love to to encounter of students becoming very interested in a lot of different things and then hopefully um, inviting them into a relationship with the Lord and encounter them uh, and kind of the Lord in a specific way. Got it. Okay. And tell me about what you do on a college campus. So focus, is it composed of young people who are specifically trying to either convert or enhance the faith of college students? Do you live on a college campus? How does this work? Yes. So the idea um, in the the premise is we live on a campus and me specifically, it's different for every missionary. Me specifically, I will be living at the rectory uh, with the Mm. chaplain's at the University of Wisconsin. So the chaplains at the Newman Center. And this fosters a, an area for students to come and gather uh, and actually go to the sacraments and um, at the Newman Center, go to the sacraments at the Newman Center, and then always invited them into that, that life. Uh, so um, this could be you encounter students wherever they are at. So how I met a missionary was a, an organized running club. Mm. And uh, the idea... And what we kind of want to do is foster students aren't entirely coming to us, the Newman Center, the church. Um, so we must go out to meet students wherever they are at. Where are the students involved? They're involved in clubs, organizations, um, just walking around campus. So I was involved with a running club and I met a missionary through a running club. And then it began to, what do you do when you're running? You have conversation. 
Do you? Yeah. Maybe you do. You're kind of a stud runner. I'm kind of out of breath, but okay. So you have conversations if you're good at so, it. <laughs> so if you, if you're an avid runner, you have conversation, uh, you can hold a conversation and for a missionary, you, uh, that, that's like you're, you're preoccupied by the faith. So you always want to be inviting people into, into the faith, but it's a, it's not immediate. It's you build a relationship first. You get to know a person. Uh, so I got to know a missionary while running with them, just knowing about their life, their personal life. And then um, the the more you build trust in a person, uh, in a student, you uh, you gain confidence and then you invite them in into what is important, what's truly important for, for their life. Um, and the missionary knew I was Catholic, so I think it was very easy for him to invite me into maybe the sacraments because I'm baptized, I've received all the sacraments in order to come back to the church. But so you always want to encounter students. Um, it could be at the Newman Center. That's a great way to encounter students, but a lot of them aren't coming to us. So we have to go out into clubs and organizations and meet students where they are at and always be willing to invite them back into the church or into a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not exclusive for Catholics. Um, it's it's inclusive for all peoples and all religions. Right. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the a, a little brief idea of what a missionary may be. So you have yet to actually begin your true um, time as a missionary, I guess, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You're going up there here pretty soon. When are you actually going up there? Yeah, so I I leave this Saturday, uh, July 30th is when I'll head up to Wisconsin. And then we have a full month of formation training to get ready for students to come into the university and to begin school. So Wisconsin doesn't start school until after Labor Day. Hmm. That's when they start, which is late for uh, Illinois students. So hmm. uh, that that month is preparing, uh, preparing to lead Bible studies, preparing to lead what we have uh, as a formation tool called discipleship, focused discipleship, and uh, preparing to actually um, build students up to become student leaders, uh, a part of focus and, and their apostolate. So uh, apostolate means like their focus teaching. And uh, it's aligned with the church. It's not different from the church. It's always including church teachings. But uh, so, yeah, I haven't stepped foot on campus yet. Um, Mm -hmm. It'll come in. Okay. So when you go there, you might have already touched on this and I just missed it. How many people are going to be living in this directory with you? It's surely not just you, right? Is it a team? Is it a group of people? Correct. Yes. There's one other focused missionary that I'll be living with, another, another guy. Um, it's all guys to begin with. Uh, hmm. so, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So at, <laughs> yes, at, at the rectory, it's guys. all guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and then, like I said, there's two chaplains that are involved, heavily involved with the uh, Newman Center at the university. And then there's um, four to six, I don't know the exact number, four to six guys that are interns at the, uh, at the Newman Center that work with the Newman Center uh, that are not focused missionaries, but are heavily involved with the the mission of focus hmm. so there's about i think eight to ten guys that are all living in the rectory which is phenomenal because it builds um a community um in the rectory and then the best thing about it is you can invite students into that uh, community that we have through living at the rectory because mm-hmm. we i'll spend a at least a year there and so it'd be great to film uh, or form a a, a a special bond with these guys that I'll be living with. And I think the best tool is to invite students into a loving charitable community that um, can actually help and students to encounter uh, the Lord uh, through the joy that 
maybe our living quarters might show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be living here with eight to 10 guys, uh, which is, which will be fantastic. Yeah. Now do all colleges or most colleges have a Newman center and is a Newman center, like the official nationwide Catholic place, safe Catholic place for universities or something. Cause that's where this focus ministries will stay right with the Newman center. Uh, yeah. So do all colleges have a Newman center or what? Uh, to my knowledge, they have, yes. Um, to my knowledge, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least most of them. I'm sure mo- there's outliers, yeah, you know? Uh, yeah. Most of them. Um, I, so I went to university of Missouri. They had a, they had a Newman center. I know ISU. I know Bradley does, uh, just colleges that are close, uh, to Bloomington, but that is where uh, focus really, I mean, that's where, like you said, the, the safe haven, but that's where we want to invite students to, to come into basically the church is, is a Newman center because at university of Wisconsin, it's not a, it's not a parish. It's a Newman center. So only students will go, hmm. uh, to this this building to this uh, community area. And then uh, through the church, it's really only for students, but it's like U of I's uh, university of Illinois campus. It's only student uh, kind of parish. So sure. Okay. And are all the people with focus that are going to be on campus living in this rectory, are they all graduated, but they're young. So they kind of look like college students. Yeah. It sounds like some espionage. (laughs) Like you're going to pose as college students be like, Hey, what's up my fellow student. Yeah. Let's go running. Hey, by the way, come here. It it sounds, you know, I love it. It's meaningful. It's incredible work, of course, but it sounds like they're, you're like trying to sneak the gospel in there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first we want to, we always want to live, um, with the gospel in mind. Uh, We always want to live, um, with the joy of the gospel. That's as a missionary's life, you always want to, that's your forefront is living uh, through the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as, uh, as a missionary being on campus, I mean, I, I'm 22 years old, so I'm not very far removed from 18 to 22 year olds that are still in college. Right. So the idea of it, they're all graduated. Um, some of them are 24. Some of them are 22 like myself. And I think the best thing about it is like this age group, if you're 30 years old, it's hard to relate to 18 year old college student. Mm-hmm. You're in totally different age groups. You're, you can't really relate to them as well. So, um, I mean, we want to be, we want to be friends with the students. So it's not like a, it's not like a secret tactic to, um, mm-hmm. just <laughs> like invite them into, to the, like inviting them into mass, maybe when they're not Catholic or haven't gone in a while, um, is, is a great option, but Maybe isn't the best. If you go to mass for the first time in five years, that's fantastic. But uh, we want to encounter, or we want to build a relationship, so then they can also be see the the lives that that a missionary has, or maybe a student leader may have, and uh, invite them into that. And the thing about a missionary is, it's always you always want to step into their ground. So whatever they like to do, uh, you you ask to, to join them in that activity. Mm. There's a story of of a of a missionary in university of Colorado Boulder. And she met a girl that was agnostic and the missionary asked the, um, the girl that was agnostic, what do you like to do? And she said, I like to climb trees. So uh, the missionary as selfless, selfless as she was, she said, can I come and climb trees with you? So it's inviting them. It, it, it's, it's kind of wanting to go into their boundaries where they're, they are comfortable. Um, meet them where they are meet them where they are because it's very hard to um we don't inviting them into our lives is is 
we may, as a, as a missionary and a student, we most likely will live to have different worldviews, have different ideas of what it is. So we always want to meet them where they are. And like that story, it's, it's the missionary went climbing trees with this girl and that sparked conversation. And then that right. conversation led to deeper, deeper, deeper conversations about the faith. And then she actually converted. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, and she felt love. She felt like she was actually received the, for the first time uh, that, uh, that another human would actually climb trees with her just because a lot of people would be like, I'm not climbing trees with this, with this person. It's kind of funky, mm-hmm. but this missionary went into, did something that, that the other girl liked to like to do. Yeah. And that's the idea of always, I like to run. So the missionary saw that I like to run. So he said, can I go running with you? And, and, and then you're inviting them into, uh, into something that they like to do. They're comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you always feel better about letting someone join you. You're like, oh, I'm appreciated. I, you kind of feel cool maybe. Yeah. And then you're willing to listen to them a little more. Right. It, it makes you feel good. And it seems like evangelization is a real game of strategy. Mm-hmm. It takes technique. Even Christ says, you know, it's more of a game of sowing seeds than necessarily going out and getting in someone's face type of a thing. Sowing seeds, leading by example, and letting your example be a light that's alluring to people, you know? It's... Tell me about what you think the game, the strategy, the techniques that you need to implement. Like what, what does it look like to effectively evangelize and reach and touch the lives of these college kids? How do you do it? Yeah. So at uh, at first, uh, uh, coming from personal experience, I always wanted to, to be like kind of recognized and known uh, by other people. And I think college is a, it's a dark time for a lot of students. It's a time where uh, they're surrounded by maybe a group that that is inviting them to do uh, maybe things that they're uncomfortable with, or um, or maybe there's like a like a, let's say like a party scene or something, and maybe a student's uncomfortable. But as a missionary, um, we um, we always want to uh, to live with the with the joy that the Christ uh, wants us to live. So with the joy that is centered around the sacraments and through prayer, and reaching a student that. Um, that can be very. It, it can be a very vulnerable moment for them, uh, just because they are are seeking for love and affirmation for from from people. And I think college is a time where um, it could be very. Uh, yeah, there's just. A, I'm not like condemning any any like college students or like like universities, but uh, it can be a very rough time for people. And as a missionary, it's you always want to receive people with with great love and charity. And to know that they are they are loved by God, and I must also love them in a very um, authentic way. Mm-hmm. So, authentic friendship is very, very important for evangelization. Oh yeah, you have to be so joyful with people. But that that joy, I mean, you can have a really hard day as a missionary. It's like a priest, like a, a priest can he celebrates mass every day uh, with a congregation that comes, and if a priest has a has, is having a rough day, and then people know that he's having a rough day it you kind of see this like oh this this person isn't joyful but as a missionary uh living that joy which could be hard uh living that joy that that that, that you're filled with christ and you're, you're you're filled with with the goodness that he is giving us the love that he has for us uh and then you have to you have to actually put that into action with meeting students um encounter them in a very loving way which is I think I think conversation nowadays is having a good conversation is dying because there's so much 
caught up in, there's so many people caught up in social media. They're very attentive to their phones. And I think people are loved and affirmed when you have conversation with them. You actually are inquisitive. You ask them questions. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like faith-filled questions. It could be, how are you doing? What, 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 like a simple question of how you're doing, a person could be, oh, I, I'm known. And actually someone is, is curious of how I'm, how I'm doing. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then they could be, that, that could spark something. And then they could actually um, be attentive to that and then answer that question. And then maybe that can form into, uh, into a, a friendship uh, by, by some means, if you're still living with that authentic friendship uh, that a missionary has and actually wanting to encounter students in a very loving way. Uh, with with being inquisitive, asking questions about them instead of here's my life and here's my spiel and here's what you should do. <laughs> I, You're that, right. that, that's not that's repulsive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not going to be the most beneficial way of of, of evangelizing. Right. Uh, you have to enter uh, their life and, and actually ask what what they like to do, what what interests them. Um, that's the best thing about being a missionary is like you you don't have to seem you have to seem interested. You don't have to want to sound interesting. So as me, I don't want to sound interesting to another human being. I want them to be, I want to be interested in them by their uh, just interest in life, whatever it may be. Right. Showing your genuine interest and curiosity about a person can validate them in a lot of ways. It's really an empowering thing, especially for people that nobody's asking how they're doing. Mm -hmm. It can mean the world. It can change their lives. And we're going to talk more about that here in just one second. But first, here are a few words from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. I'm here today with Will Dionysotis, and we were just talking about, you know, the, the ways to effectively evangelize, the techniques, the strategies, and what have you. It's kind of a psychological game, maybe even a sociological game. It's a game of sowing seeds. It's complicated sometimes, so I'm sure you'll have to undergo some uh, training for that. I want to ask, though, what went into your decision to become a missionary. This isn't exactly a thing that most kids just think is cool to do. So why did you decide to do this? Yes, great question. So my junior year at the University of Missouri, maybe my second semester at the university, that's when I started to get more into the faith. Um, it was at like a low point in my life. And I think of it as when you're, when you're empty in life, when you don't know where to go, that's when you're able to receive the most. And the Lord was very gracious with his grace. And for about six months, I was just filled with this like extreme consolation and whatever it may be. And through that time of, of wanting to grow my faith, I grew uh, in a, de- a strong devotion to the mass and through a life of prayer. And then when, when you start to pray, you really hear, you perceive the voice of God into moving you into a specific way of life. Um, and focus has been at University of Missouri for as long as I've been there. I didn't really get involved with them until my second semester junior year. 
and I was invited into their discipleship and it was very, um, it was awesome. I loved it. At that time, like I said, it was, it was very empty. So whatever I was being thrown at by the Lord or by the Lord through specific human beings, it was just an, a, a very amazing experience and I loved it. And I saw that through the eyes of a focused missionary and, and through student leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I was asked uh, to consider uh, being, or I was, I was actually told by someone that they were uh, thinking about doing focus as they were in my grade. And it was my junior year, second semester. And I thought, and I was like, I never thought about this, um, but I have great zeal and I have, and not in a, a prideful way. It was just like that by the grace of God, I, 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 I had this, um, this desire to be a missionary, but I didn't know it was like going to be with focus or just like working at, at a company, whatever it may be. Um, I really, really wanted to do this. And, um, it was, uh, leading into my, my summer, I actually worked at a company and I really, really enjoyed it. I loved interacting with, with the, um, with the, the coworker. I loved it. I loved just interacting with people. Um, Mm -hmm a lot of conversation was, it was not even close about faith. I mean, I'm at a work environment and I'm at a big company. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it was just a simple conversation, but a lot of people wanted something, uh, wanting their, uh, like a desire to be f- fulfilled or they had a specific di- desire and it was to receive this like extreme joy and something, but they were looking for in wrong directions. Mm-hmm. They had and, that God sized hole in their heart. Yeah. Trying to I, fill it with something else. Yeah. Um, like Isaiah and, and the book of Isaiah, they, they, our, our desire is for the Lord and maybe people don't know that. So I thought, I, I was like, okay, where, where do people desire something so much, but they're looking in wrong places? And I said, okay, this is in a work. This is at a, at a big company. Um, but I thought and, and prayed um, through prayer. I perceived the Lord to call me into being a missionary at the, at the college campus, because I think that desire for something that's so good, they're, they're looking in a lot of wrong directions or they don't know where to look uh, just because no one has been there. No one has, has told them where to look or no one has been a guide to, to be a witness to the church. And I perceive the Lord through prayer to en- encourage me to, um, with, with people telling me to look into focus or, or look into missionary um, life somewhere or, or through an organization. And through uh, extreme prayer, uh, I, I felt the Lord, appreciate the Lord to call me to to be a focused missionary. It's, it's really interesting how prayer kind of just opens up the floodgates, opens up this channel through which grace can flow into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, and into your relationships even. It's really amazing. What do you mean by extreme prayer? Why'd you say extreme? What'd yeah. that look like? Um, so I, for the longest time, I really didn't know how to, I didn't know how to pray. I just sat there and uh, reflected on myself. That, I think that was what I did for majority of my life when I prayed. But then... Um, when uh, I started to actually dive into scripture, um, my my prayer was always about Jesus. It was, okay, I'm looking at Jesus now. And and through the scriptures of maybe Old Testament, I'm looking at how Jesus is fulfilling these, these, um, these promises and these uh, covenants. But when I started to think about Jesus in this prayer, I desired prayer so much that it, it would just be throughout my whole day. 
And uh, it, it was so wild when I, when I stopped thinking about myself in prayer, but thought about Jesus um, and putting imagery in my head about Jesus, that's when my desire for prayer grew. And when I say extreme prayer, I was like on my hands and knees. I didn't know what to do in my life. It was my senior year. And I was like, I have to make a decision of what to do after graduation. Mm. I think that's when I say like extreme prayer. I was like, Lord, I, I, I want to do something radical. I really do, but I don't know what it is. And so I was very desperate. I was desperate for an answer, which could be, the Lord wants you to be desperate for for him. I think we are very desperate for him, but uh, I was desperate, desperate for an answer. And uh, I, I I just thought of what, what do you, what are you calling me to do? I, I have this great desire to, to be a missionary, but I don't know if it's through focus. I don't know if it's through um, another missionary organization that I was looking at. And uh, the Lord kept calling me to deeper prayer. And I never got the answer for a while until December. So I, it was a good, it was a good five months of like, I don't know what to do. I think I'm just going to follow what I think I, I, I know. And it was to go work for a company. And um, right when I interviewed for Focus, I that's when I I got, I, I felt this calling, this strong calling to be a missionary. And I became very nervous. I, that, that's the week before I interviewed, I became super nervous hmm. uh, to interview. And it wasn't super nervous just to speak in front of people and to really interview, but it was that those nerves of, I have to give up two years or more to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, am I ready for this? Am I, am I, yeah, is the, is the Lord calling me to this? And I became so nervous to give up kind of my, my life and to uh, be, a, be a focused missionary. And yeah, I felt this, this very calming, peaceful presence after after that interview weekend that I had with Focus. And I was like, yes. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that went on uh, during that interview process. Uh, Tell me about it if you okay. don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that Saturday, it was December December 2nd, December 3rd through the 5th, the interview weekend. And uh, they just, so the interviews go as they have, they have three interviews and they kind of talk about like your personal experience, your spiritual formation, um, where you're at spiritually. And then... Uh, what another interview is like, what do you struggle with and how can we actually help you through this? If you want to be a missionary, we don't want you to be living in sin. And if you are, that's like a little concerning, but um, yeah, let us help you through that. So those, that, that was like the three, three step interview process. And hmm. um, December 4th is the feast day of St. Francis Xavier. And uh, that was the Saturday of my interview weekend. And uh, so liturgy of the hours is what the priests have to pray every day. They take a vow to in the seminaries. They take a, the vow to pray the liturgy of the hours and in the office of readings. Which is like a series of prayers at, a f- at specific times during the day, yeah. three different times or yeah. something like that. There's like, more, there's a lot. Yes. So like okay. morning prayer, afternoon prayer, mid afternoon. Yeah. There's a lot evening prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read the office of readings that day and St. Francis Xavier's office of readings was, uh, it was basically, woe to you if you don't preach the go- if you don't share the gospel. And it was specifically to college students. It was not planned. It was not planned to have that reading that day, uh, and it was obviously not planned to have that that reading while I was interviewing for a missionary position to share the gospel with college students. Hmm. It's very providential. And I read that, and it said, um, people are not living 
a Christian life solely because there's no one there to to help them guide guide them into living a Christian life. Mm. It was specifically to college students. It was like the 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 letter was to people living at universities and working with college students. At, they were they were working as missionaries, but they were uh, living on u- universities. Um, living as a Catholic missionary to college students. And St. Francis Xavier was talking to these missionaries that were living on college campuses and sharing the gospel with, with these students. And he says, why, what are you, you're doing something wrong and you have to be super radical in your, your life as, as a missionary. And he says, you have to share the gospel with people. You have to basically live as a true witness to, to the church. And he basically was like, correcting them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a, basically a very personal, like, Will, why aren't you going to college campuses and, and sharing the gospel and actually uh, inviting students into this relationship? It was super personal. Yeah, it's like, hey, geez, yeah. might as well have written the letter. Might as well put your name in it too. Yeah, you know? Just right. Straight to you. Right. Um, and he says, how many people are not knowing the creed, not knowing how to pray the Hail Mary, not knowing the Our Father, not going to Mass because of you. Mm. And it was read because of you. And uh, and I said, because <laughs> of me? Yeah. Uh, so uh, that day, I was like, wow, I think this is, this is providential that it's happening, that I'm reading this this day while on an interview weekend for Focus that goes to college campuses and does exactly what what he is talking about doing about sharing the gospel with people, inviting students into this. And I, I was like, yeah, yes, I, I want to do this. I, this is a straight calling right now. And I, I have to say yes to it. Um, so after that, I was after that weekend, I felt a strong desire to, to say yes to focus and you have to get an offer to, to become a missionary. So later that month, I received an offer um, and I said yes on the spot. So beautiful, yeah. beautiful story. Thank you. That's <laughs> incredible. And I'm curious. I know you come from a religious family. Perhaps I'm presuming that, but your brother did just become a deacon. And is he on track to become a priest? Is that right? Is yes. that how that works? Yeah, he's got one more year. I got a willing. He's got one more year right, to be, right. be a priest. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up religious. You've been surrounded by the Catholic faith for your entire life. Have you ever struggled with your faith, though? You said there was a low point maybe early in your college career, and I'm just curious. I mean, for Pete's sakes, you're going to be evangelizing people. You're going to be sharing stories. You're going to be trying to inspire them. So let me ask you that. Have you ever, what was that low point like, and did it include a struggle with your faith? Yeah, great question. Uh, There's a lot of, I mean, uh, life is just full of of, um, low points, low points in the faith. And and for me specifically, right when I entered, college you ha- you have this you have this freedom when you go into college and you have a lot of decisions to make do i want to live how i lived in in high school with living with my parents or do i want to like be that rebellious kid who just is having fun and doesn't really uh want to have a life that i lived in like high school because i was high school days i was in the past so my early years of college it wasn't like i was away from the away from the faith by any means but i was never in a position to I never prayed. I uh, I would go to Sunday mass, but it was basically out of Catholic guilt. Hmm. 
Um, I didn't want to go, but I knew it was wrong to, to not go. So, right. Um, that's basically the only, I was involved in a Bible study. I did not like it at all. I just was not, did not have this great love for other people. It was, it was, it was a pretty sinful, I was living a pretty sinful, uh, college experience. And I'm curious, but I won't ask, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, you know, college students, how they, how how they live and partying uh, and whatnot. Yeah. Just, just, uh, involves with, with a lot of, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. A a lot of us have. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just, uh, living a life that I I was absolutely not fulfilled at all. And, but I didn't know it at the time. I was very, it was like a cloud was covering me. I just didn't know what I wanted in it. Um, was this a dark time? Did you say it? Um, so there were there were periods of like, it was like um, this this time of of I I know I'm not living like the best life, but I I I was so trapped into into the life that I that I thought was good, and it was the life that the college scene basically what that we were we were doing. So it was good for for <laughs> like one day, and then it and then it was like it's like that hangover of when you're, you have extreme excitement and it's, it's pleasurable. And then the day after it just, mm-hmm. yeah, it just was not fulfilling and you feel miserable and all of this. That's kind of what, what happened with my personal life and then faith life too. You have this extreme like consolation. And then afterwards you're like, well, let me just step away because it's like, it's like a vending machine. I was typing in the code. And my brother said this in one of his homilies uh, this past weekend a vending machine prayer. I was living like a vending machine where I punched in the code, got what I wanted for a day from the Lord and then never went back to him. So what I was saying is I asked the Lord in prayer, like help me on this test and all of this. It was just a horrible way of living. It was basically like demanding the Lord to provide all this stuff that's in, unimportant to, to me. And that's how I was living. And I never really knew how to get out of that, that spell of like, I only go to the Lord if I, if I'm in desperate need for, for, um, help on whatever it may be like a test or, or something. So it wasn't, um, but I, I, I didn't know anything different. I didn't really know anything different. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, it wasn't like I was losing faith, but it was more of, um, I was abusing God into what I wanted. Um, and it led me into, um, it, I just, it, it, I didn't feel happy. I wasn't like extremely happy. And then uh, actually I, I, there's like a, there's a time where I, uh, there was like a relationship that I lost and how I was saying when you're empty, you receive. And when, uh, when things were not going right in my life and, and I actually was very empty and, and, and dark, that's when I chose to go to daily mass that I actually wanted to go to. Mm. Um, so that time of like, I would say two years of college, it just wasn't, wasn't fulfilling. I wasn't doing the right things. I was going through the motions. It was just, it was just like a blah experience. And uh, yeah, I could, I knew the Lord was saying, Hey, you're putting a lot of this stuff above me and I'm going to take that away from you. And he did, he did that exactly. Uh, he took the things that relationships, friendships, um, pleasurable things, and he took that away from me. And when you take something away from someone, you are like, what do I do now? Where do I go? And uh, my heart was drawing me to himself because the person who takes it away, you go back to the person who took it away. 
to beg for it back. But then the Lord in his, in his, in his gracious being, he was actually saying, don't, don't really think about these stuff that I took away, but think about me specifically. So I went to daily mass for the first time that I wanted to go to. And uh, I received his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And uh, I was like, this is what I want. I want to encounter this every single day. This love and this empty feeling that I had is being filled by Jesus's love. I, I, after receiving that, I, I said, I I have to give my life to him. It was very weird. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Lord, I went to daily mass after that. Um, I started to, when you go to daily mass, I, uh, you just have this like set time, five minutes of prayer um, before or after. And then that five minutes after mass that I sat there, it grew into 15. Then it grew into 30. And then eventually grew into an hour. And when you have an hour of prayer, you really perceive the Lord telling you what to do. Yes. And it, it's, it's, it was at a time where I was saying yes, 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 yes to every, to a lot of things that he was telling me. And that was basically to pray more, to pray more, to pray more, to pray more. Right. Isn't Read it, scripture. isn't it just incredible? I mean, it is truly astonishing how you lose these things in your life that you held so meaningful. It could be relationships. It could be uh, social things, physical things, material things, and somehow you lose it all, but you're more than replenished when you go to God and the Eucharist and you don't even receive anything physical that you can touch, nothing tangible, yet you are totally fulfilled. And it goes back to, I believe, St. Francis, uh, his quote, I hope it's him, our hearts are restless un- until they rest in you, O Lord. Yeah. And I think that is completely true. And it's just incredible. We're going to be right back. Uh, I have some really good questions for you here in just one second. But first, here's a few words from our sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. I'm here today with Will Dionysotis. Will, I've got a big question for you. We've been talking for a half hour now. I want to ask you just a simple yet complicated question. Why do you believe in God? Maybe this will train you or be like some practice for when someone asks you this in Wisconsin. Yeah. Why do I believe in God? Great question. Um, I actually... Maybe not the specific question, but a lot of this does come up in uh, in discussion with college students. There's a lot of um, people who are who are maybe skeptical or don't really know what they're believing. Um, and why I believe in God? Well, I can come from a personal experience why I believe in God. Uh, kind of what I was going into before of my story and kind of my testimony. Um, 
how I was living that very unfulfilled life and, and, and I didn't know at the time and I was collided. I mean, I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I would go to church every Sunday. Uh, so God was always incorporated into my life, but I never had that, that I never questioned his, his presence. And then I never questioned his, yeah, is, is there a God? Is there not a God? So, um, but why I said that is just because I never went through like an atheist background or I never really had a, had a time where, um, where people around me were like super atheist at all mm-hmm. and really questioned me on this. But going back to the story, I, so I was, I was very unfulfilled and a lot of stuff, a lot of things in my life were just yeah, not going right. And then I, then what I said earlier of just how, how I encountered the Lord in a specific way uh, through the Eucharist. And I mean, I can answer that through the personal experience of why there's a God. It's because the joy and, and just complete happiness that I received after, after receiving his presence in the body, blood, soul, and divinity is the, could be an explanation on God's being. And then his, his love for me right there is my life actually completely changed. And it wasn't because I, I went to a specific, I went to a mass. It was because I went to a mass and then after that, and my life completely changed. So why I say that is just because if you encounter a, a, what, what Catholics believe as, as God himself in the Eucharist, um, if he wasn't real, then my life wouldn't have changed. If he wasn't there, my life wouldn't have changed because I would have just been receiving bread and, that's what we think as, as God himself. He basically moves my life into a way that I didn't never thought of going. I never thought of, I never thought I would be doing. I never thought I would really actually um, embark on this journey. But maybe that, I think that proves God existence because the thoughts that, that I now have were never thoughts that I really had before of like mm. being a missionary and desiring to go to church and desiring to receive God himself in the sacraments if there wasn't a God, he would never move me to that, to that choice of wanting and actually desiring to continue to receive him. Right. So yeah, if there is a God and what I, yes, there, what I believe there is a God and what I believe what Catholics believe there is a God and he's present in the Eucharist. Then my life would have just been the exact same thing. If I just received the Eucharist, right? Like, Like if I just received, if I just went to mass and he wasn't there and, my life would not have been radically changed. Right. If you were receiving what Protestants would say that you're <laughs> receiving, it would make absolutely no sense for such a dramatic, intense change to have resulted from that. Yeah. It's like the sheer drama, the sheer intensity of this moment, this pivoting, this, this, what's the word for it? Paradigm shift in your life. Just that intensity alone would be evidence for divinity to be at play because this is nothing like you've ever experienced in your life before. And for that to all take place in a moment that you received what looks like bread would make no sense. It's like, why did I have a change of thinking, a change of heart, a change of life in general, just my general outlook of life? Why would it all change in this moment that I just received this piece of bread? Unless that bread is truly what Catholics have always believed that it is. And what it is, yeah, the body and blood, yeah. soul and divinity of Christ. It doesn't make sense if it wasn't that mm-hmm. for this to have happened. Yeah, and and even times when I was, um, when I was still living a Catholic, uh, like a authentic Catholic life um, through the summer of my senior year, it was a it was a dark time. I was just super dry in prayer. I wasn't 
Uh, I was going to daily mass, but in prayer, it was really hard to perceive the Lord, and I didn't know what was going on. It was kind of like what I was saying, where I didn't get an answer for the Lord, but I was begging him for for something. Um, then in that time, and a lot of people encounter this, your deep, dark times in, in prayer, and then that that's also a struggle in your in your faith, and the Lord's really testing you right there. Um, in faith in him, um, and during that time, I was like, I didn't know— well, I, I believed, but it was very hard to to actually comprehend the Eucharist at that time. I think the devil was really was really attacking me there, and he was he was trying to not get me to go to mass. And I was living by myself, and I was just by myself, and it was a it was a lonely time. So the Lord was truly my friend, but it was a very dry moment mm-hmm. in, in in prayer. And that's when the idea of like, is the Lord really present in the Eucharist? And that, that's a good question of like, is God really real when you have those those desolate times a little bit? Is, is God really, is he wanting you to go in these dark times where you just are, are like, <laughs> like fiddling with like this depression feeling of like, there's no one here to really talk to. And there's, I'm, it's just very lonely, which right. I think a lot of people encounter. I just heard a story the other day from Bishop Barron. He said one of the men at his parish was explained to him that his son, who was three years old, was having to have all these surgeries. He was undergoing a lot of pain. He was in so much pain. And he said he looked at his son when he was on his hospital bed and they were they had been cutting him open. They've been taking this out, putting this in. And his son, you know, really can't talk. Maybe he's two. I'll say he's two. He can't really express himself very well, but he's looking at his dad as if to say, and he can read it so perfectly in his eyes, they're doing this to me. I'm in pain and you're just watching it all happen. You're just watching it all happen. You seem to approve of this. I thought you loved me. I mean, up until this point, I thought you loved me. Mm-hmm. But what's what's happening here? The son doesn't know that the dad knows, and he's watching this all happen because he knows this is going to be so much better for him in the long term. He's going to be healthier. He's going to have a better life. He's going to live longer. The son just doesn't understand that. And that's what mm-hmm. it can feel like, I feel, for us. Because we're, in our infinitely less knowledge than God, we can sometimes think, why? Like, mm-hmm. What do you, don't you see what's happening? He does see, and he sees what happens in the future. So it's like that child going through the pain of those surgeries can be likened to your time of darkness. You don't know why it's happening. It's beyond you, but God knows exactly why. Right, right. Yeah, and, and to, there's like a, a lot of different ways you can answer that question. It could be a very theological answer to it, um, dating back to church fathers and how they debated God's existence and then the divinity of Jesus. Um, but my approach was to always share, uh, especially with talking to students and when students ask me that question, they could be very um, scientific in their question. Mm-hmm. And then uh, do I have to be very scientific in, in the answer? But a lot of my approaches, people like to to relate to others. So when I said I, I went through the time of consolation and then my life like changed, I think that's a great experience of, of proving God's existence of how literally my life changed. I don't know how you can just do that with what I shared uh, without without a God actually steering you into into his ways. But then why I bring up the, the time of, of desolation is there's no... Um, it's very hard to, to prove God's existence, what you're saying. If it seems like he just sits back and, and just twiddles his thumbs and just, mm-hmm. just sits there. And you can get caught into that, to that concept if that's actually true. But right after that, that, that summer and that dark time, that's when I actually 
strongly desired to be a missionary. And that three, four months of just like desolate, dry prayer and questioning a lot of things that the church believes led me to making a a decision that is is well, it led me to be a missionary. And the Lord said, sit with me for four four months and I you really won't perceive what I say, but sit with me and keep coming to me for four months. And then after that, you will, you will be told what to do basically. And through that same story, it's like when you're, when you're kind of like empty and you really aren't receiving much, the Lord is just testing you saying, are you still going to, are you still going to come to me and sit with me in prayer and, and know and, and believe that, that, my works right now are going to lead to, to uh, basically hope and resurrection. I mean, what is there? Um, there's a saying that like you, there's, there's no resurrection without um, Good Friday. So yes, there's no right, like right. death before, there's no like dark time before the resurrection. And then like that four months was like a struggle. Uh, and then right after that, it's, that's when I preceded the Lord to call me to be a missionary. Um, which is very hard to um, to actually say that to a person who's maybe atheist or some sort of, but I think personal stories are always the most beneficial because people can relate to some level of like, I've gone through a dark time yeah, and I'm waiting for that, like that glory moment. Um, where is it? And it's like, well, maybe wait a little bit. The Lord may be calling you to something special, but you have to really, really, like it is, it is, it is very difficult to, to wake up. And then also, um, to, to want to pray when you're just, just, it is just brutal sometimes. Right. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to get nothing, but exactly. That's what the Lord is calling me to do. It's, it's continue to come to me and sit with me, receive me and know that there is something good that's going to come out of this. Um, praise God for all of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> praise God for that empty feeling that I had at the beginning of college. And then with a, with a, um, with what happened before I, receive this consolation and praise God for that dry four months because without that, it's like, Oh, this is easy. This is great. Um, no, it is, it is very difficult. And the Lord says, follow me. And he, he says that. And then he goes and dies on the cross and the Lord says, follow me. So I say, I'm going to follow you and it's going to be a very dry and it's going to be not saying the dryness and death, like uh, the crucifixion are similar, but they, uh, it, it, yeah, it was just a very dark time. And I was like, I, I don't know where, I don't know where this is going. And then the Lord eventually revealed that yeah. his plan for me as a missionary. So everyone loves a good comeback story. <laughs> everyone loves to be able to relate to, you know, I'm going through a dark time. And then you tell me you went through a dark time that was hopefully even darker, you mm-hmm. know, and you still made it through. That's what people love. And that's what gives people hope. And hope is a product of the Holy Spirit anyway. And no, it's great. And then if your story can help people, then you're almost glad that it happened to you because it can help so many other people. When you respond to terrible things with grace, better things come about. Some people believe that God allows evil to happen because evil or just a really not good thing can bring about even more good. That's You start getting right. theological and whatnot, but it's at least food for thought. But as we get towards the end of this conversation, I want to ask you just a couple more things. Firstly, what, are your, what does your family, what do your friends think about your decision to do, to do this? Yes. So... So like I said, my, my family, they're all, they're all Catholic. Um, my immediate family, they're all Catholic and they're still practicing. 
But it's kind of funny when a person is is living a life that maybe not like super holy and not striving for holiness. And then his life changes. And then you start like actually going to daily mass and praying more. Um, you're like, Oh, I didn't know that was, I didn't know that was you. I didn't know that was a part of your life. I didn't know you wanted to do that. Uh, I miss like the old person, the fun person, mm-hmm. but actually I'm the same person. And I'm, I, I, I'm fun, but just indifferent in moderation. So uh, they, they're super supportive. Not saying, not saying they're not supportive. They love it. Um, but I think there was a, maybe there, there's always this like plan that maybe parents have of what their child is going to do. And I actually just said this to my, to my parents two days ago. So my, like you said, my brother is a, is a deacon for the diocese of Peoria mm-hmm. and he's living at the rectory at St. Philomena's in Peoria. And I will be living at the rectory at university of Wisconsin. So I told my mom, I said, would you ever imagine two sons, your two sons living at a rectory at a Catholic rectory? And she says, no, never. I would have never imagined this. But by the grace of God, that's actually happening. That's reality. And uh, at first she was always like, why, why is this, why is my, my son um, becoming a priest and taking a vow of celibacy? Oh, so she's kind of bummed out. It's like, hey, <laughs> she, she, as a mother, you think of, of wanting grandchildren. <laughs> right. Um, of course. And not that I, I'm not in the priest. I'm not, I'm not um, in the seminary by any means. So. But uh, I think that was her immediate reaction to, to my brother. And then to me, why are you fundraising your salary? Why are you taking two plus years out of your life to uh, go live as a missionary at the University of Wisconsin? And I think it's a beautiful question to ask. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an honest question. And same with my dad. I, I believe the same thing. Of like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I had this, had this conversation of like, when people ask, when people say, thank you for your sacrifice, I will always say, I, I, I say like, thank you. I, I affirm that, but it's never a sacrifice. It's actually exactly what I want to do. This, this is not a sacrifice for me. I'm not sacrificing my life. I'm, I, maybe I'm dying to, to the Lord. I'm dying in a special way, but I want to do this. And I'm actually giving up. I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes to this because not by the sacrifice, but because I want to do this. And same with him. It's not a sacrifice if you really want to do it. Like if I want to go get ice cream, and I really want to do it and it's good. That's not a sacrifice for me to go like get ice cream. It's probably like a good thing. Same thing with being a missionary and, and being a priest. It's never a sacrifice. It's, it's not, maybe days are like sacrificial and it's, there's sacrifice in it, but the whole entire reality is not, it's not a sacrifice if you really want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I, I mean, I felt called and maybe it was a sacrifice to say yes, but to actually be a missionary, it is, um, it's not a sacrifice if you love, if you really, really want to do it and you really love it. And I had to tell my parents that I was like, this is not a sacrifice. You might think it's a sacrifice, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like losing a job. I'm actually gaining a job that is so important and something that I really want to do. Right. And they're like, yeah, that is awesome. So they're very, very supportive. Um, I think when I lived at home fundraising my salary for the past month, this past June and July, at first it was very hard because I had asked their like friends for financial support uh, and family friends for financial support, which is a, a demanding thing. And that maybe can harsh the reputation of our family. But when I explained it, they, they loved it. They, they, I think they really did. And 
they became more supportive of the mission of focus. And I, I really think that, that their relationship with the Lord became stronger because they, they see a thing that's, that may be hard, but it's something that you see the joy in someone doing it with me being at home. And then you're like, okay, this guy is, is living a life, not like tooting my own horn, but I strive to do this by the grace of God. He has given me the ability to actually do this with, with, with great love and, and fondness for giving God the glory of going out and, and encountering people and um, inviting them onto the mission of focus, including my parents too. So um, yeah, it's very, it, it ups and downs. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like your parents are supportive, but at the same time they have a, a concern for your well being. And of course they do. Their parents, they want your financial well being. They want you to, you know, make good decisions and don't, you know, they, they're just concerned because they want the best for you. And that's okay. That comes from a place of love. But your whole decision to take this leap of faith and just say, Hey, I want to serve God, whatever happens, happens. God never lets you down for doing something like that. He just doesn't. I believe it's almost a law of the universe, a law of nature. God won't let you down if you take such a leap just to serve him. It, it just doesn't happen. It reminds me of the story of Mother Angelica, right, John? John's a producer here in the studio. She signed like a, a paper of some sort for $400,000 to buy a massive satellite for her radio media production company. She was going to evangelize the world. She might not have had like any money. She might have had next to nothing, could not afford it. That's for sure. So it made no sense on paper. Why did you pay? You signed a thing for $400,000. You realize you could, you're going to be in horrible debt. You could go to jail for this. And she's, I trust God. I'm going to serve God. God won't let you down. And she signed it. They got the satellite and someone donated something like $400,000 on the money. God doesn't let you down. I know this in my own life. You know this in your own life. That's It's a test of faith and it's a testament to your faith. And Will, man, it's been a great conversation. You're doing incredibly meaningful things and it's very inspiring to me and I'm sure it's going to be inspiring to all the listeners. And I just want to say good luck in all these endeavors. Good luck in Wisconsin and thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. And it was an enjoyable conversation. I really do. All right on. Awesome. And that is a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. That was Will Dianasotis, and I am Paul Garcia. God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 